fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel Media, and then I divulge the nuggets of information that have since nested within my crippled psyche, and I place that upon my good friend Caitlin. Great. <laughs> this episode, we will be covering the week of September 9th. So how are you, Caitlin? I'm okay. It's been quite a week. It has been quite a week, and we are going to cover some of that in a second. Actually, not even a second. We could just cover it now. Yeah, let's get right into <laughs> let's it. Let's just get right into it. So, right into uh, the good stuff. We did a lot of things that were, I would say, not directly rebel-related, but rebel-adjacent, in that it had to do with uh, local politics. We did political things, yeah. Yeah. So the first, first day of this uh, week, on September 9th, which was the Monday, we ended up having lunch with our member of parliament. Oh yeah, we did do that this week. Yeah. I forgot all about that. <laughs> Probably because it wasn't that memorable. No, I mean, out of all, I mean, like, he, it was nice. It was pleasant. We didn't talk about much. His name's Peter Fragisketos. He's a liberal uh, member of parliament for our writing. And we just pretty much chatted about how he got into politics. It was awkward, like, the lead up to it, because... I have uh, occupied his office twice. I think you've participated in some protesting outside of his office, maybe. Um, I went to an event where they were talking about the infrastructure. Um, and he was there. And I went with David, who's an activist um, in the BDS movement. Yeah. And they showed it and got escorted out. Um, and I've I've got escorted. When I escorted, I, we protested outside of this one of his events uh, where we were raising concerns about his rhetoric on Venezuela. But yeah, so like it was interesting because I had a friend in activist circles who had won a prize, uh, which was a lunch for two with him. And she was like, I'm not going to use it. Does anyone want it? And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> and so we signed up and we, we went for it. And I was... Uh, Kind of surprised he showed up, but also like not surprised because even when we protested outside of his venue about the Venezuela stuff, he came up afterwards and chatted with us. I thought he was wrong, obviously, but, you know, good on him. And so we just chatted. He didn't. The only thing I pushed him on during the lunch was about pipelines, which uh, in part because we covered it on last week's podcast and he didn't have much to say. His idea is that if you... Uh, build pipelines, it'll increase revenue, and then you can use that revenue to spend on green technology. But that seems really stupid to me because it's like, yeah. why don't you just tax the rich? He was also making the point that you need to privilege both sides. So you need to focus on building the economy while also caring about the environment. Yeah. Um, it's kind of problematic, not just because it's a centrist view, um, but it's also some of the rhetoric I've been hearing from the conservative party leader, Andrew Scheer, uh, <laughs> over this last week. So, and another thing to keep in mind is one side's already privileged. The environment yeah. has never been privileged. The environment has been used as, as this like endless resource or an endless tool that never breaks down, um, for the economy, for business. It's never taken into consideration when a lot of the major decisions have been made. And so when he says stuff like we need to privilege both sides, um, I just disagree because historically yeah. one side has always been privileged. Yeah. And he's I mean, it's refreshing to hear him be so straightforward about where he stands on the political spectrum. And that's, often, often yeah, you get liberals who walk like a line of like, no, I am really progressive. And he seemed I mean, he can be progressive when it comes to things like immigration. 
Uh, he's a little better than some other people. And he was but... good about LGBT issues, yeah. too. Uh, he is what he says. He's a centrist. He takes a very center approach. And that's fine. That's his perspective. I just fundamentally disagree with all of it. And so... I'm not voting for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Dirk of Prout line si- lawn sign, so I'm yeah. ready to but go. But I don't think he ever came to came to the conversation uh having the idea that he yeah. was going to change your mind so but it was it was an interesting experience at least getting to sit down with him and, and he was very interested in our podcast and uh very interested yeah. in far right stuff as well wanting to know the psychology behind uh far right groups yeah. um maybe he's listening to this he might be and in that case hello peter <laughs> <laughs> and good luck uh which actually like leads into the next day so we had Two two leaders come to our town. Uh, one of them was Jagmeet Singh for the NDP, which for those who are not Canadian, is the kind of progressive party. New Democratic uh, Party. Yeah. Uh, heavy in labor, historically. Now has gone past, I think, labor to be a little more socially progressive as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, and, they're, I'd say, I don't know. Are they more left-leaning than Democrats? I would say they are. Than the Democratic Party in the states, I mean, yeah. it's tricky comparing the two because the Democratic Democrats in the s- states is one party that has like two spectrums. Sure. And like so, NDP would kind of fit into some of the more left leaning Democrats. Yeah. Like I could see Alexander Ocasio Cortez fitting into the NDP. Oh, of course. You know what I mean? She doesn't fit into the Labor Party at all. Right. I mean, Liberal Party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean. It, if if that helps you understand who the NDP are, think of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, so he, he had a town hall event, and we went to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I got there to volunteer, but then was too busy with my kids to actually do anything. And it went well. I think Jagmeet was, uh, answered some questions very uh, eloquently. And mm-hmm. the thing is, it was like a very diverse crowd. Everything was hopeful. He sounded very inspired. All the candidates were there. It was a huge turnout. It was like maybe 200 people there. Was, uh, no, they actually said the next day there was 400 plus people that turned 400 out. 400 plus people. Yeah. So quite a quite awesome. a large crowd. I don't know if they're just boosting Over- that number. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it I didn't, didn't feel do like 400, yeah, but yeah. definitely quite a few hundred. No, it was, it was pretty packed. It was big. Yeah, uh, big crowd. But then what happened afterwards was I randomly... Uh, I, I had, hadn't decided to do this in the morning, but I found out that Maxime Bernier had come to town. And those who have been listening to the earlier podcast, Maxime Bernier is the leader of the People's Party of Canada, who we covered two weeks ago uh, with his mass immigration, say no to mass immigration signs. That say no out. to ass, man. So I was like, okay, Bernier is coming to town. I was like, might as well uh, do something. <laughs> and uh, at first I wasn't going to do anything because we were at the Jagmeet Town Hall and I was just going to stay there. But then uh, my kids were getting rowdy and they had already left. And then I was like, well, I got nothing to do. So I might as well leave the town hall. And uh, I went down to Maxine Bernier's People Party of Canada rally. Where Jody had a temper tantrum. <laughs> Well, I, I got to stand up. The funny thing is there was only a couple clips and a lot of it got cut out, but I'd managed to stand up when Bernie, I was about two minutes into Bernie's speech and I stood up and I said, I yelled at him. I was like, refugees are welcome here. And then I said, immigrants are welcome here. And then pretty much after that, everyone was booing. And then I said, uh, it's the, it's like the hatred in this room that it is what inspired the Quebec mass shooting. 
and then I said, uh, "You, your rhetoric does more harm uh, than immigrants do." And then the police came and started pulling me away. So then I just started calling him a bigot. <laughs> and then, yeah, pretty much. Uh, then at the end, I, there's a clip that like, well, there's two things that happened. I said, "Go home," kind of ironically, and. That seems kind of petty, but it was like, it just came off my head <laughs> in the moment. And then the other thing I said, which seems like weird or like a, a weird brag at the end was I called him a coward and I said, this is real courage. And I wasn't like bragging about like, oh, I'm so courageous for what I did. But earlier before Bernie started talking, uh, the candidate for my riding, his name's Salim Mansour for the PPC. Yeah. He had said that uh, people who support multiculturalism are cowards who want to destroy this country. So that's kind of like what I was riffing on. And the interesting thing with him is, so he he's a Muslim. He's a retired professor from our university. And he doesn't think that multiculturalism is good. <laughs> no, he doesn't like Muslims either, which is just which is so weird. weird. Absolutely weird. Um. And he talked, the thing is, he was supposed to give like a five minute introduction to Maxine. So like at the Jagmeet rally, uh, all the candidates were there for yeah. London and they came up and gave their like five, two minute speech, just being like, hey, I'm this candidate uh, and said their thing and then went on and then introduced Jagmeet and Jagmeet did his thing. And at this, like Salim Mansour talked for an hour, just the, <laughs> the most, he mentioned Jordan Peterson like three times. Talked about how like I we mean, need a monoculture and that other cultures man, are bad. Though. He's just, but it was so it was really creepy in the room though because like he, he like, the way he was talking was very like reminded me of a dictator, mm-hmm. like the the way he would emote and try to inspire passion, and it was like very weird. And all the like old white people who were in the audience were all like, oh, man, amen, amen, brother, amen. And I was like, it feels like I'm in a cult. <laughs> uh, it was super weird. But uh, yeah, I got police escorted out of uh, a People's Party of Canada rally, which then made my Twitter blow up with right-wing people. <laughs> soy encrusted yes. face. Soy infested. My, er- my face was infested with soy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the comments uh, someone wrote under the news clip of Jody yelling at Maxine Bernier. Yes. Oh, well, I also got told that I was, uh, well, people had speculated, how much did he get paid? And sadly, I got paid nothing. Uh, and there was no, there was no grand strategy. So no one at the NDP had anything to do with How it. much Soros money did he get? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was literally my friend was like, yo, you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> that was the extent of the planning. And yeah. then uh, we went and we did it. And and then that was that. And then what happened the next day was the writ dropped. And for anyone who's like, what the hell does that mean? It means that the election liberals... Election has started. Yeah, the yeah. liberals disbanded government, which means that the election officially starts. And so since Jagmeet was in town, they did their big... Uh, hey, this is the start of our campaign. And uh, Caitlin and I uh, both got to be on national TV for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were in the background while Jagmeet did his, I guess, opening campaign yeah. speech. Um, oh, it, was, it was really good. I think the highlight of it is my mom saw me on TV, took a <laughs> screenshot of it, posted it on her Facebook. And just like Jody, a bunch of people are asking me how much I got paid to be yeah. there. Because um, it's just so hard to believe that I could be so supporting um, 
honestly what it is is like students can be there because we don't work like standard day jobs that's that's pretty much it like they just it's you know what it is though it's racism at its finest because a lot of it is oh how could you support someone who looks like that like you must be getting a paycheck to support something like that or i'm like or maybe he just rocks and you guys are racist (laughs) as fuck so yeah no it was it was fine like i i was barely on tv you're on tv a little bit more but for me it was just like i was standing right at the door where jagmeet walked in and so the camera like pans by and you could see me (laughs) yeah I was like, hey, I'm on I'm on national TV. But that was that was our week. I think that's pretty that much was our all week. That I mean, they, I, <laughs> anything else I could add is just me watching the debate and my comments about the debate. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did that was that entertaining up. to me, at least. Well, if you want to, I'll talk about the American election if you want to. So we can go. Not election, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the Canadian debate uh, covered four main issues. It was hosted by McLean. The first issue was economic issues. Second, Indigenous. Uh, they had foreign policy was the last one. The third one um, was the environment. Um, <laughs> uh, it went really well, I think, for the NDP. Uh, there were a couple of criticisms I do have. Although I am an NDP supporter, of course, you should always be critical of your political leaders because no one's perfect and there is a lot of flaws in the NDP. Uh, So one thing that I did want to point out with uh, Jagmeet is he's too much on the attack. Yeah. um, Rather than just restating or confirming his policies, which I think would look a little stronger. Uh, But some people reacted well to that from what i was seeing on twitter i don't really personally like that i like it when a person can just ignore the comments or ignore what other politicians are doing and saying this is why i'm going to do this this is why this is important like you should vote for me because that's that's my focus i don't like when it's like well mr trudeau didn't do this he didn't even show up tonight i'm like i don't really care like just just focus another thing that i thought was really creepy and kind of uncomfortable that uh singh was doing was he kept name dropping people like I met Linda Linda's from London Linda's a single mother she's a single mother and she's got all these issues and it and then he'd go his next talking point oh I met Amanda Amanda's from Edmonton Alberta she was a cancer survivor and this is why we need pharmacare and it was just like just say your point but I was also told that that's very good for middle-aged women really resonate with that yeah he must be getting like a coach there's a certain population that that really resonates with and i hate that because i was taught to do that in retail with a mid-aged woman (laughs) you would be like oh what's your name ma'am oh really oh okay linda yes linda (laughs) like you would do that to because middle-aged women like that they like to be treated very on first name basis it's a respect thing too i don't really think it's respectful i actually kind of find it demeaning but that was something I didn't like. The last I, thing. I just wanted one comment yeah. on that, which is like, he did something similar at the town hall. He does it all the time. Right. It drives me nuts. And the, and the thing is, the first time he did it, it was a very like emotional, inspiring thing. I was like, oh, that's a really I, nice story. It's, but just once. Stuff doesn't get but then me, it yeah. was like the second time and third time and fourth that's time. That's what I'm saying. It, it's too it's much. Like, he needs yeah. a balance. But it probably does speak to a certain demographic. Uh, one thing that was probably my biggest critique of his performance was. Uh, I think Shear's comment on Israel needing its own democratic rights and Canada wants to interfere. If the NDP gets elected, they're going to interfere with that. If any, any, anyone else 
get, they're going to interfere with Israel's um, democracy. And it's always led to anti-Semitism, which we can go yeah. in a whole conversation, <laughs> but we're not. Um, but saying just didn't do anything. It was actually Elizabeth May who stepped in and was just like, they're committing human right violations that the UN has declared as a human right violation. And she was the one being on him. Like, how could you even support? Like, And it was just even the way she was standing and the anger and the look on her face that I could tell. I was like, oh, that's good. She looks good right now. Being like, what they're doing to those people are horrible. And I was a little upset that Jagni didn't come in and def- even like there was points where both of them were going at sheer and i wish he came in at that moment yeah. but ndp clearly isn't in favor of supporting bds movement or palestine and that to me is just super problematic and that's my major criticism yeah, of that party and my impression of it is they they kind of just want to avoid this subject so it's like and I, don't, I don't even think it's bad. Like I'm not. No, using he this as really, a he really should have because at this point you're so low in the polls, you have nothing to lose. Who cares? Like <laughs> I just wouldn't care. I would no, be like, I if know. I think I, this, I think... I'm going to say it. And it was almost like you can tell he wants to say something, but he's like, no, I'm going to follow party lines. No, I and mean, that but that's the thing too. Is like because you need a leader that's going to say what what the issue is and call I mean, it you out. know this but i i went to the the ontario convention and we tried to get a motion passed to support bds and they like but maybe tried him to as shut a, us down, no of course so. but that's the yeah. party as a whole that's yeah. not the individual that's up there defending yeah but it, i mean again my my soft defense for him would be that he's fresh to this and i think it's it's going to be tricky because he's he's going to have a lot of people speaking in his ear, right? So there's like, how much do you want to go out in front of the party and claim a position as sure. your own? And, and Elizabeth much, right? has been in her position yeah. for many years. And you could tell she was very like a seasoned politician that was going up there. Like the way she even handled the opponents were really good. She did say some really odd things here and there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of specific lines on the top of my head, but I was kind of like, I don't know what you're getting at like i couldn't make out what her answer was because it was just i think she didn't know how to answer the question and she was just saying a lot of fluff um she's had a few flubs so far this it it was weird and some people i heard were laughing because the answer was like what are you trying to what are you trying to get at we don't understand um another thing i don't like about her although i think she presented herself as very strong um i think just her performance was a lot better than the other two candidates in terms of self-presentation um not in terms of policy not in terms of things she's saying but just the way she held herself in the debate looked really good um but she kept using different parties speaking points okay (laughs) and we know if you actually follow politics she doesn't support those policies yeah or she hasn't really had a solid policy um for those talking points so I, I've, and this is good about saying is he did call her out about abortion because she said she would open up the talk about yeah, abortion, yeah. but then also was in there being like, I support women's rights, blah, blah. And he's like, what are you talking about? You, you wanted to that. open up the conversation about abortion. You don't care about women's reproductive rights. And so that bothers me about her because if you're a Canadian viewer and you don't follow her closely, she looks great. Uh, but if you actually go see her policies, they're yeah. not really existent. Or they're contradictory to the things she's actually saying. And then she was just a giant robot. He doesn't blink. Um, <laughs> I, I joke because like I didn't listen to the debate, but I like saw clips like clips and, and some He doesn't pictures. blink. Well I was He's joking that like 
the only emotion he showed was fear of showing any emotion at all. Like, <laughs> he just it doesn't was, blink. Well, that and like even his intonation was constantly like, I'm just going to remain at this tenor and not show any heightened parts of emotion. Like, no, but it's like, not, like he's one of those people when he gets angry, he gets quieter. He doesn't get. Oh, so he's. <laughs> And he's like Ezra. <laughs> no, he's like a creepy person. Just, just, it creeps me out. And he doesn't blink. He's just kind of like wide-eyed, staring at the camera. And he's like, when he wants to assert his point even more, it's almost like he's like, I am going to say this again. Like, it's like you can tell he's ready to snap because he's trying to hold the emotion back so much. Um, and he said some pretty shitty things. Like, just absolute horrible things like they were talking about a livable wage that was the very first question and he was basically saying we need to balance the budget and we need to balance the budget by cutting taxes and we also need to balance the budget by not making companies pay out livable wages so therefore a livable wage is at least of our priorities to balancing the budget but if you balance the budget you'll get a livable wage so he said balance the budget like six times in that whole spiel. And if you were to do a drinking game where you take a shot every time he said balance the budget, you'd be plastered in the first three minutes of that debate. Um, That's always the conservative talking point. Balance whenever, the budget. Whenever a liberal government is in power, it's always, why aren't we validating the budget? Balancing the budget. Which, why aren't we dealing with deficits? And then as soon as they get in power, what do they do? Cuts. and They cut yeah. and then they spend it on things that we don't need and it's it's actually very fiscally irresponsible and that no, really bothers for the me. rich but it's yeah that's all it is it's just talking points to scare people about tax taxes it's talking points to make people um to think that they're going to do something for working class the poor middle class but they're not because cutting taxes just cuts social services and people really need to know that taxes are a good thing they're not a bad thing and i do have an agreement that Sometimes when liberals have put taxes, it does affect working class people. There is a way to tax really rich people, 1% earners, a great amount that won't affect them in any way. They'll still be living wealthy lifestyles. Yeah, but they'll have one less yacht. Whatever. That yacht means so much. (laughs) (laughs) Their kid might not get a private jet that year. How else are they going to go to their pedophile islands? Oh, whatever. It's just, it was, it's just ridiculousness. He also was talking about First Nations saying that they like hoard the, or they like bar the economy from growing. And if we had to ask First Nations people for permissions to build infrastructure on reserves, that that's unfair because they're holding the economy hostage, which was disgusting. And both uh, Elizabeth May and Jagmeet Singh went at it with him about that. Uh, And and it's problematic because we do have conservatives in every, almost every province, a conservative majority. And if he's going to get into power, we can open up that constitution and change the rights for indigenous people, which he seems to be really targeting then he also and made the liberals a, aren't helping with that either they're not like the they're doing a horrible it, job yeah. it's it's actually quite frightening another issue too that really stuck out to me that just was like wow you're just an absolute piece of shit and he tries to set, sound calm and rational but he's just a piece of shit um <laughs> he He was talking about how refugees coming into Canada are a large problem. And he was saying the reason they're a large problem is because they jump the line in front of other immigrant groups. And that's not fair. They need to wait their turn, which like common sense thinking is the most ridiculous thing. Of course, they're going to jump lines. 
which it's actually not even happening. Refugees aren't getting processed faster than immigrants no. in such the working class uh, status or uh, family reunifications. It's nothing like that. They're still having to wait long wait periods to get their refugee status, um, to get asylum, right? But a lot of them do that waiting. I mean, what the, they'll complain, and I don't like this complaint at all. It's like they're doing their waiting in country, though, right? So they get released into Canada, but then have to go to like court hearings and stuff like this. But they're not given like permanent residency. No, anymore. but he was making it sound like they jumped the line in front of other immigrants and were privileging well, yeah, refugees. Yeah, our country. Like that's but, how they frame it. Like I'm not saying. But that But this that's... is the worst part about it. A fucking course they're gonna jump the line because they're in danger. <laughs> refugees. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's just not common sense, but it's also like, how horrible of a person do you have to be that a person is escaping a war-torn country, a country of mass hunger and poverty, a country where maybe you'll be killed for your sexual identity, and someone's going to say, yeah, you're jumping the line in front of, you're taking too many things from people, when you're literally just trying to seek a safe space. Well, that's why part of their argument, and this is like what Ezra does on his show, is to frame them as not really refugees. They're like really just, they're frauds. They're trying to hide the fact that they're not refugees. They just want our free, they would just want their free stuff. Their free social services, yeah. their leeches. I hear it all the time too. Um, covered it on the show. <laughs> yeah, we have. So we had a whole thing on mass immigration. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's my take. Yeah. I, I plan on eventually watching it, but like part of me was like, uh, I knew Trudeau wasn't going to be there and the election just started. So I figured they would have time to, to, heat those things up and plus i i really wanted to see the american debate which for the gods aligned both occurred at the exact same time and so i watched the american debate and it was terrible <laughs> uh i mean i think warren did the best overall in the evening i really like elizabeth warren i think she's uh strong in her positions uh everything she said i don't think she said a single thing where I was like, oh, why did you say that? It was just pretty much on point strong. Bernie did a pretty good job. He had what sounded like laryngitis. And so he normally yells, but now he was like screeching because he had like a throat thing and I felt really bad for him. Uh, so you got a lot of people online that were complaining about his yelling. And he did one thing that I, I don't like, which is that he wants to keep the filibuster. And the filibuster is something that ties up a lot of garbage in Congress. For those of you who are American, you know about it. And I think scrapping the filibuster is a good idea, which is something that Elizabeth Warren uh, advocates for. So like, that's a difference between them where I actually side with Warren. So that was the two of them. The only other people that I have anything good to say about was Castro. And the thing is, I don't know all that much about Castro. I heard he did a terrible job at HUD, but I've only heard that. So he was uh, a part of... Uh, housing and development under the Obama administration. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just, I know a lot of lefties complain that he did a terrible job. So I'll leave it at that. But he did a great job. He's done this thing on Fox news. He bought a ad space. Julian Castro did. Yeah. Okay. It's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) So just before uh, they were talking about ice, it goes to commercial and it's him talking about how they want to take away kids from their families because they look like him. And yeah, amazing. Yeah, so it's during Fox News. He's got ad space talking about why that's wrong. Well, his his role last night was pretty much just to shut down Biden at every corner. <laughs> and yeah, like, I heard he's losing it. 
Oh, well, like, Biden was just a mess. At one point, it looked like his teeth fell out. And, like... Because <laughs> everyone was losing it on Twitter. Because you could see, like, them slowly fall and him click his jaw and, like, oh, no. suck them back in. And, like... See, people always go on about why, like, Bernie's too old to oh, lead Oh, Biden's the falling apart. It's falling apart. But even, like, like his eye, Like, old. what was it at the climate debate when his, like, eye just burst a blood vessel and he had, oh, like, no. devil look in eyes? <laughs> Yeah, no, and and there was a moment. Oh my God, uh, Biden got asked about his racial record, and he just lost it, and it was rambly and didn't make sense. He started talking about he's like, we gotta make kids hear words again. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And he started talking about record. We gotta put on records when they go to sleep. Like it made no sense. And when you actually see the transcript. It's almost like you can sort of see that what he was sort of insinuating is that uh, black poverty is the result the result of bad parenting rather than any sort of like structural thing. And if that's like, I mean, it was pretty incoherent, but from the gist of, of what it like was indicating, uh, it seems to be that that's what he was suggesting. And if that's the case, then that's a terrible freaking answer to that question. And he should not be president. Uh, aside from the the health reasons for not wanting them to be president, uh, but yeah, Castro. Like at one point, uh, Biden and and Biden probably didn't mean it because I don't think his plan actually does this. But he was saying you could buy in if you lose your job to his health care plan, and then Castro came back and said he wants you to buy in with thing. But if we have Medicare for all, we should have it so no one has to buy into anything. And then Biden was like, I never said like buy-in and castro responded to him was like do you not remember what you just said two minutes ago <laughs> wow and like the mainstream media uh after the debate was just like castro was mean he was making fun of his old age why would he do that to him and it's like he said that you had to buy into the program like whether that's he like also had an ad where he's talking about how it's insulting to have medicare for all because his son yeah. <laughs> How horrible is that? Your son's deaf. You're going to use your son's deaf to say yeah. that it's horrible for other families to have coverage for things like what his son had, which was he had the uh, brain cancer. Brain cancer. Yeah. I had, I just wanted to make sure it's accurate. Um, <laughs> like, that's just. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, the other so, thing. So I don't really care that he's old or kind of losing it, falling apart yeah. on stage, kind of sounds like he's mentally losing it a little bit as well but only other so the only other memorable things is uh yang started off the debate by saying that if you go onto his website right now you'll be entered into a draw to win a thousand bucks a month for a year Uh, (laughs) so he was like he was just giving money away (laughs) come on my page like this like is it's a happens. game show no, no no this is what happens when you have too many people running yeah it's getting real desperate <laughs> oh and i was mocking him like all night and i had the yang gang was after me all day today oh okay uh they really did not like my critiques i got one more thing so the the well two things once just fast klobuchar was boring she's the worst person in the world and if she doesn't drop out anytime soon I'm gonna, like someone needs to tell her she needs to stop because she's boring and like i want to fall asleep every time she talks and the other thing is abc was just horrendous they they asked the most leading question of uh of uh bernie sanders about venezuela 
of basically how can you support a dictator like Maduro? Like just straight up. And his response was uh, okay. Uh, he kind of was just like, I don't support a dictator like Maduro. And he's like, I just don't think that we uh, should go in there and bomb them and like do other things. They need to uh, yeah. have free and fair elections. Of course. Which is like, yeah, of course. And they also try to connect it. Like, how can you be for socialism and look what socialism did to Venezuela? Yeah, that was really, really friggin' terrible. Uh, so that was the American debate. And uh, I think that's all we have to do. <laughs> Random everyday things. Now to Rebel Media. It was a big Media. week. It was. It was a it was very a big, big week. week. A lot long, of things happened. But it also went by quick. Now the show is actually, it's, it's not, uh, there's not a lot of things to happen. And before we get into the roundup, I just wanted to play a teaser track so that we can experience what we're in for for today's episode. Who could be scared of David Menzies? What's he going to do? Give you a big old hug to death? The Menzoid. The Menzoid. What are you afraid of David Menzies? So one thing about David Menzies is he does this kind of uh, man on the street interview style where he pretty much harasses people. And we're going to get to that in a second. But yeah, I'd be afraid of David Menzies if he was on the street. We're getting a lot of David Menzies this week. Of course. For whatever reason, it was just his week to shine. And the main segment is going to be about David Menzies, but he also comes up periodically throughout. We're going to get to it. So I guess we're into the Imperial Roundup. I still don't have music yet. So just imagine some like really awesome sounds playing in your head right now. And that's the uh, transition. Okay, so on September 9th, Ezra discusses how the rebel will be approaching the upcoming Canadian election, right? Oh, no. So we have this upcoming Canadian election, and he's going to be like, this is our strategy for covering this election. So here it is. I guess I come back to the question, what are we going to do during this election? We're not going to be a third-party campaign group. That's not our style. I think we've got a better plan, though. We're not gonna take on the Liberal Party. That's the job of the other parties. We're gonna take on something far, far worse. The NDP. I think it's gonna be much more vicious and- The NDP. You think the NDP? Or conservative? Much less honest than Trudeau. Well, it's not, he's not gonna do the Liberals. We here at Rebel News are gonna take on the media party. No! <laughs> oh, no, he's going for the media party. You got it wrong. He's not going to go after the actual politics. He's going to attack the people covering the politics. <laughs> uh, so just just to be clear, we're now covering a podcast about another podcast that's covering another media source. So. Yes. Mm. Although, I mean, you know they're going to go after podcasts. I mean, so here's the thing. Like, once he gets into it, they st he starts off by framing it. Uh, and i think there's going to be trouble in the ranks so we're just going to jump into this clip too i like maxime bernier's policies a no. lot, and i like his style like his no so where do you where do you think this is going then cancel him <laughs> so for everyone at home this is the guy called a bigot ezra loves him a lot courage i wish andrew Shear was a lot more like him so he wishes andrew Shear was a lot more like him but hopefully bernier will make andrew Shear find some courage on at least a few key conservative issues just to stop those votes from splitting off on Shear's right. But really, there are only two parties that can win on October 30, 21st, and that's Trudeau's liberals or Shear's conservatives. Yeah, he, he put this out on social media, so I right. know about this. Here's the thing is, that's a factual statement. Mm -hmm. The only two candidates right now, according to the polls, that have a, a chance are the liberals and the conservatives. 
So he's going to support conservative because... I don't know. But here's the thing is, on social media, a lot of PPC people were uh, downvoting and retweeting at Ezra being like, you've betrayed us. So <laughs> I don't know if this means there's trouble in paradise, but maybe uh, maybe there's going to be some defections in the rank. So I'm, I'm curious to see whether or not that pushback that they receive is going to make them sort of like yeah. dial it back. Or whether they're just going to be like, well, the conservatives are a shoe in, so that's the only way we can have our influence. We're going to try to back them and try to get Sheer to like me again. Because <laughs> we get a lot again in this episode. Uh, the fact that the only reason Sheer won't talk to him is because he was hard on him on immigration when we know the real reason was because Ezra sent reporters to an anti-Jew rally. <laughs> Ezra spends most of this episode complaining about the media party. Uh, and again, the funding coming from the media bailout, bailout and also Unifor dues and how all the media is corrupt. And he says that these media people should disclose where they're getting their money from. But here's okay. the problem. Ezra never discloses any of the funding that he receives. So I did some research and it's something that we're probably going to have to dig into deeper. But I just want to highlight some of the things of where he gets his money. So as of 2017, according to an expose by Vice Media... Rebel brought in roughly $1 million, uh, a year from paid subscriptions. And that works out to about 10,000 subscribers. But of oh, course... That's crazy. Hmm? That's crazy. It is crazy. But it's not enough to pay for their overhead, right? So they have offices all over the world. They have an office in Toronto, London, Vancouver. So it's like a million dollars. Yeah. A million dollars is not going to cover that and all the reporters. Uh, so there are a few big American donors that contribute to the rebel, at least indirectly. One of them is this place called the Gatestone Institute. The chairman of that institute was John Bolton, who left to go work at the White House and just this week was kicked out of the White House. So maybe he's back at the Gates, Gatestone Institute. Uh, they're a very anti-Islamic uh, think tank. The Gatestone actually uh, received t tons of money from the Mercer family as well. If you don't know that, they funded Breitbart uh, and Steve Bannon. They're another one of these companies Fantastic. that have their, their hands and everything and donating money. Uh, Ezra also received $2 million from another anti-Islam think group called the Middle East Forum. And they're a U.S. think tank that is primarily funded by a lot of right-wing donors. But one of the top donors is the Koch family. And... Uh, <laughs> I'll get to the Koch family even later on in this episode. But the other thing that's interesting is some of the Rebel staff have actually received uh, fellowships from, and fellowships was in quotes, from a guy named Shilman, uh, Robert Shilman. And he sits on the board of Friends of the Israeli Defense Force. And they basically pay for several of Ezra's correspondence through these fellowships. Hmm. So they got millions of dollars coming in through that. And there's also ties to another institute in Canada called the Fraser Institute, who Ezra used to be an intern, I think, at. Yep. And uh, the Fraser Institute also receives Coke industry money. Yep. So. so here's the thing is he wants to pretend that like the media, because they pay union dues and they go to Unifor and Unifor runs ads that are pro-liberal, that somehow all of media has a bias, yet he receives Coke-funded money constantly i mean media does have a bias though like i do agree well, sure. with him 
But it's just, I think the problem is he thinks like every media source is out to support liberals, which is just very untrue. Right. Um, So even like yesterday at the debate, they had different reporters that have different perspectives. So like one lady, I forget where she's from, but she's very conservative. Like she just say things. I'm like, he didn't even say that, though. Like, (laughs) so it was just to support whatever to make him look stronger to the audience. Then you had one guy that was super, super left leaning, even more left than the NDP. And it's just like you have an array of different people and personalities. Um, It was hosted by McLean's. And I found out this recently. Uh, So McLean's is a like magazine in Canada since 1906 yeah they've been around for a long time and bernier was not at the debate the guy called a bigot he was was not allowed he was not invited but the editor of mclean's magazine called him a fucking nazi (laughs) and then bernier tweeted out during the debate he's like i wasn't allowed to participate and the the editor called me a fucking fucking Nazi. nazi and then today he retweeted uh or he tweeted out he's like Bernier's still a fucking Nazi. It's <laughs> like, okay, I have kind of a little bit of respect for Interesting. But regardless, is like, yes, Ezra is correct in the sense of media is biased. We're yeah. all biased. I freaking hate when people think you can be like completely impartial to things or But again, it's it's not a like a one-to-one relationship, right? So even take Unifor, for example, the top brass of Unifor support liberals. But their members are campaigning for NDP candidates. Yeah. And like even even Unifor's national Twitter account today was tweeting their members supporting local NDP candidates. Yeah. So it's like to say that somehow that the dues uh, somehow because you're a media person and you pay dues to Unifor that therefore that alters your coverage is just makes no sense to me. Yeah. If anything, the editorial policy of the company you work for is going to have more of an influence so yeah, for example you still work for a company under an employer right. that your union actually has like you negotiate with an employer but your employer sets the work work that you do not your union so if you're doing something that goes against their working policy then you're in the wrong not your like your but union you, can come defend yeah. you in those cases like people just don't know what a fucking and you union can just is. watch ctv and watch CBC and see the different news coverage yeah. and the different biases. Absolutely. And for me, CTV is a little bit more conservative and CBC is a little bit more liberal. But yeah. that's... <laughs> no, I, I okay, you got completely yeah, agree yeah. with that, yeah. Uh, the other thing, so then, then he goes on. So again, media party, they're all corrupt. And then he spends a lot of the episode calling out Rosemary Barton, who's uh, an anchor for CBC. And just says just the most disgusting sexist things about her, like the whole episode, and how she's in a romantic relationship with Justin Trudeau. She just wants to date him. And, oh, you can tell she just wants to kiss him and, like, all this stuff. And it's disgusting, and I didn't clip any of it, but that was pretty much most of the episode. Great. Uh, he also <laughs> he also said a hundred... Uh, he's like, you could go look. There's hundreds, hundreds of mainstream news articles only covering how Trudeau was sexy. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to Google that. But it's also, what, okay, not hundreds, that's an exaggeration. And I probably, couldn't find a single one. Yeah. I mean, at least not since I think he's seeing like memes on Twitter of people <laughs> making jokes, but that's just everyday people. It's not the media right. party. But again, I think he's like framing it because none of his viewers are going to Google that. or uh, And they all have an impression for the same thing that you did. But it's like this idea that, of course, there's people online, what? especially Americans, 
for whatever reason, yeah. like in American forums, you always seem like, oh, he's so dreaming. It's like we get it. Like Trump is a schlub, and so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're looking at Trump, he just looks like that creepy uncle that makes yeah. inappropriate sexual harassing jokes at the family dinners where And hey, if I had to choose Trudeau Trump, I'm taking Trudeau too. It's yeah, like... <laughs> no, I don't blame you. So the, so those are the two things. Uh, the media just uh they're in love with Trudeau and they just think he's sexy. And then he does this like demo reel where it's just like, "Oh, remember when my correspondence did this?" And he would like show like here's Kian Bext, who was one of the correspondents, harassing someone, and that's like, and here's David Menzies, and he's harassing. Of someone. course, of course, David Menzies. <laughs> and then here's Sheila Gunn Reed, and she's harassing someone. But uh, there was one harassment uh, interaction that I wanted to clip, uh, in particular because of how they frame it. And so there was this case in Alberta that they were covering with one of the NDP candidates. So the NDP had. Uh, control of government in Alberta for a while until this past election, which was a couple months ago. Yeah, and they have a conservative majority And now, now they have a conservative under majority. Under whatever his name is. Jason Kenney. Jason. And the only reason uh, NDP won before is because there was a schism within the conservative party and there was this offshoot called the Wild Rose Party that like yes, split yeah. the vote and that's how the NDP got in. So then Jason Kenney unified them and then that's why they won again, which was kind of predictable. But here's how they uh, interacted with one of the candidates in Alberta. By the way, the police actually did come and they agreed. Uh, Anne McGrath was a bit of a kook. I mean, obviously, if you are following her, right, it could potentially be construed as harassment. So <laughs> I want to, the reason I want to frame this, so I, I guess I, f I forgot a bit of the setup, which is that he, I think it was Kian Bext, and he was harassing Anne McGrath, just following her and being like, why won't you answer my questions? Why won't you answer my questions? And she's like, stop harassing me or I'm calling the cops. So eventually she calls the cops. And that leads to Ezra going like, even the cops like said she's a kook. And it's clear when he, Ezra then plays that the audio clip of the cops. Construed as where, harassment. <laughs> where they said that could be construed as harassment. Like, I, I was like, why would you play the clip immediately after? It's like, you don't even have to fact check it. <laughs> they didn't call her kook at all. They were like, no, that that could be construed as harassment. If a woman tells you to leave her alone, maybe you should leave her alone and not follow her on the side of the street. Because here's the thing. She wasn't even doing a campaign thing. She was walking on the sidewalk and they just like ambushed her and followed They're her. Hard hitting journalism <laughs> on their part. <laughs> That's how you get the job done. Uh, and then here's the thing. So he wants to talk as if they're not out to win for a particular party. But just listen how he talks about what happened to Anne uh, McGrath, who was the, the woman they harassed. Oh my God, that was so much fun. Anne McGrath, in the end. That was, that was so, so much, much fun. fun. Like how, like you can hear the glee in his voice too. It's like, ha ha ha, we harassed her and it was nice. But anyways, he goes on. Lost by just a few hundred votes on election day. Did we do that to her? No. She, that, she did that to herself by being a communist, by calling the police on a journalist. She did that. We just did, what's that old world word again? It's so rare these days. That's right. We just did some journalism. 
We just asked some questions. We told the other side of the story. Not one single what media story did you tell, though? We asked her about her communist past. Not one. Voters really, really wanted to know about that. I mean, don't you think if someone is a communist or a Nazi or some cult member, something like that, it's in the public interest to know. It's journalism to ask about it. No other media did. We did. We told the other side of the story. I think that's why Anne McGrath freaked out. What they ended up doing was they found out that when she was in university, she was a part of a communist club. And so they started harassing her and being like, were you a member of the communist party? Are you a communist? Do you support communism? And that's how they harassed her. And then they like played that clip online being like, Anne McGrath was a secret communist. And she lost by like a couple hundred votes. So they like ran like some bullshit story. And she she gave an interview where she to somebody else, not the rebel, and basically was like, uh, when I was younger, I was in the Communist Party and I was young and naive. I mean, like, here's the thing is I, I wouldn't care, like, be a part of the Communist Party. Like, some of my friends are communists. I actually don't like people. how she was like, I was young and naive. No. Like, <laughs> no, I know. I mean, whatever. But even if she felt like, to me, it's like, if she feels that way today, like, she's she's like 40, 50, maybe even 60. I don't even know what how old she is. So she must have been, it was, well, like 30 years ago. Imagine if, like, some, like, sh- shitty news company was like, you hung out with the wrong person 30 years ago. And then, oh, my God. I mean, so, they do that all the time in politics, though. That's I know, not, I know. But it's new, it, but, like, but it's the idea of, like, bragging about it. And, like, if if you're going to be a news organization, like, that's not... No, it's the news professional. Orga- and then, like, and then like relishing it. Like, but he probably... <laughs> but, yeah, that's the thing. He thinks he's, like, came to the scene, caught her off yeah. guard, caught him got him right like that's what he's seeing like ah oh, so much fun hard-hitting journalism like that's what he's saying yeah as i said the rest of the episode are, are just these demo reels and i'm like what am i listening to like were you just bored today like why do <laughs> it i was just... a slow day <laughs> what i mean there was a lot that went on that week but i guess but it actually had a point so watch if you can see where he goes with this okay i want to vet canada's prime minister and i have I vetted him and his whole team through the lens of corruption. And so I'm pleased to announce to you, my friends, my new book called The Libranos, What the Media Won't Tell You About Justin Trudeau's Corruption. It's a quick read. Uh, The paperback version is only 138 pages. He wrote it. Or you can get the e-book if you prefer, read it on your Kindle, whatever. (laughs) It has the collected facts and his corrupt team. So he oh, just corrupt. did a spin-off of The Sopranos. Oh, and the, the cover art is... It's like got the Sopranos? Their, it's got The Sopranos. And it's horrible. got, like, I Gerald hope... Butts and uh, Justin Trudeau and I think Bill Morneau, who's I finance? I can't remember what he is. He's in the gov- government. And, it, yeah, it's... Uh, and it's on sale. And part of me is like, oh, man, I would it's really love to read. review that book. 138 pages. But the thing is, I don't so want to give him any money. <laughs> we have two books now that we're going to review. Ethical Oil. But part of, so the, well, there's two things. Part of me is yeah, like... a podcast of just going over his books. I, I don't want to give him money. And so part of me is like, I'm waiting for it to materialize somewhere else that I can grab it. But I, I don't think they're going to get that popular to have that happen. The other thing is, I don't think it's going to say anything that we're not going to hear on this podcast anyways. It's probably going to be like, did you know he went to a terrorist mosque? (laughs) Did you know he wears itty bitty socks? Yeah. Have you looked at... So I don't think I clipped this part. He's a pool boy. 
I didn't clip this part, but he commented, I guess there's a guy who who wrote a book about Trudeau's socks. I don't know. And he's like, I bet ours can sell better than his book. And he's like, oh, yeah. Anyways, but it gets even better. So not only do they have books, but. And, you know, I want to spread the word about the book. Because here's the thing. So he's going to tell you how you can spread the word. And remember, they're basically banned from uh, most media coverage. So there's no way that they can get the word out. So you need to do it for them. Do these lawn signs. Lawn signs for a book. <laughs> the party they're voting for on their lawn signs, they're now going to have his book? Yep. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We've ordered lawn signs, folks. <clears throat> Just like we did for Sheila Gunn Reed's book. This is the thing. They did it before in Alberta. I wonder how successful it was. I don't know. I mean, the we Conservatives won, but I'm pretty sure the Conservatives were going to win anyway, so I don't know. Oh, the Alberta election called Stop Notley. Look, when I used to write books like Ethical Oil, <sighs> every media outlet in the country interviewed me about the book. My books were reviewed widely. No, they were That's not going to happen. Any <laughs> media party journalists were to review my book, even negatively, even to mention my book, they you get it, Ezra. You want people to get your book. Subsidy. I love that. He's like, they can't even say negative things about it. Because if they say negative things about it, bailout, gone. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure that's not how the bailout works. But uh, yeah, my cat's just loving on Caitlin right now. <laughs> Simone. It's like, you're not going to pet Chill me. Chill out. So I'll, I'll just use your arm. She's into it. She's ready to go. <laughs> She's like, you're not going to bring your hand to me. I'll bring my head to your hand. Uh, so that's pretty much the ninth. I had to cover a lot of that just because of how ridiculous it is. He then starts uh, recapping about how they're going to have a reporter in every writing. And they're going to do man on the street stuff. And then he has a, uh, an interview with uh, Lauren Gunter. And those of you will remember him for being the dude who talked about Trudeau being a pool boy trying to steal your weed money. And then, yeah, then nothing, nothing. Oh, they have a little, little uh, laughing fest about how environmentalists want you to eat bugs. And then that's oh. that's the end of the episode. And I'm going to skip Tuesday because that's going to be our main segment. Tuesday Tuesday was a David Menzies packed fun fest that we're going to uncover. Uh, so we're going to move to September 11th. And this episode's really boring. It starts off with, you know. Blah, blah, blah. Trudeau loves terrorism. Don't forget about 9-11. About. Yeah. <laughs> 9-11 happened and we're all sad. And so Trudeau's a terrorist. And don't forget to buy my book. Because he has a book now. And and then it went. they went into liberal cor corruption. And I was just like, I don't really care about liberal corruption. Yeah, they're corrupt. <laughs> I'm not voting for them. Uh and then he ends the interview with, uh, or ends the episode with an interview with David Menzies again. And so Menzies uh, has just been on this all. Day. Yeah, I don't know. And then it, the best part was it sounded like he was standing in a field, so there was like crickets and cicadas just going off. It's like, why did you have him just stand in a field? Or maybe it's like a tight budget. They didn't well, they <laughs> well, they were talking about how like the the media won't let us into any like events, so we so can't they had like, to be cover outside them. Like, yeah, to I don't know. So, <laughs> to make a point. <laughs> So uh, so that was it. September 11th. It was really, really boring episode. Nothing happens. At least nothing worth covering. Then uh, Thursday, uh, Ezra starts to defend the oil sands. And he talks about how now that the conservatives are in charge of Alberta, they're forming a 
war rooms so they can like combat uh, the people who are environmentalists or against the oil sands. And basically Ezra's whole point about this episode is we need to support them and make sure that they like go all in and that they don't pussyfoot around and they really take on these environmentalists. And then he has Sheila Gunn Reed on <laughs> and interviews her and they talk about how, those turkeys again. And he's like, we need to start a fundraiser and we need to raise money so those farmers can sue those environmentalists. Because uh, freedom. <laughs> and then that's but it. a lot of farmers care about sustainability. Yeah, I don't know. He's just really upset. I mean, how... Remember last... Because last episode, he like sounded like he was gonna he, he was fantasizing about killing these people yeah he was so he was definitely like, was implying that they got killed and he was <laughs> almost saying like we should go in there and it was he was like, if they step foot on my farm I, 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 yeah I, yeah I, 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 yeah he was like, <laughs> wanting to say i'm gonna shoot them yeah maybe allegedly no, <laughs> he was he just couldn't say the words uh so that's it that's the whole week uh, i didn't cover the friday episode because it would probably be being released while we're recording this right now so i don't have it recorded so what i'll do is if if anything happens i'll like pop in for a brief two seconds and fill this in if not i'll just cover what happens on monday and we'll so that was it now for the main segment sir david menzies the menzoid he filled in for ezra on tuesday's show and he begins the episode with a piece that targeted a 12 year old girl this isn't the fun part but I'm just going to, it was really important as well. So I'm just going to. So they did this piece on this 12 year old girl named Fatima, who was a member of a U.S. squash team. And she was forced by Air Canada to remove her hijab. And the reason why she was forced to remove her job is because she, hijab is because she was not wearing uh, the headscarf, the hijab in her passport photo. Now, Menzies does not uh, give you any of the context that I get, just gave you. He just tells you that uh, this 12-year-old girl had to remove her headscarf because it wasn't in her passport. And all the people that are mad about this are and who are calling it Islamophobic are really just overreacting and being unreasonable. After all, you know, like September 11th happened. And like, you know, there could just be terrorists all over the place. So like we need security at these places. And the thing that like doesn't make sense here is like the headscarf doesn't cover the face. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, what if she shaved her head? <laughs> or, and, so and, like, it didn't in match my passport, passport, I went through this phase where my ex-boyfriend uh, does hair. And so he would dye my hair different colors every week. So I had blue one time and then like I had like a silver. But it didn't match your passport. So, so in my passport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my <laughs> <laughs> And my passport, my hair's like flaming pink. Yeah. And I think I was like a good 15 pounds heavier too. So I look very different in my passport. And every time I go through border, they just have a good laugh because I have this flaming pink hair. And obviously now my hair doesn't look like that. It's a darker brown color. Well, no. So my hair would have to go back to that flaming pink in order for me to... Like that's the According argument. to his logic, right. So what if I was wearing a hat? Yeah, I don't know. What no, if I was wearing like a fashionable scarf in my well, head? That's the thing is it doesn't happen. I'm sure if you walked in with a hat, nothing would happen. But no, because exactly. this woman was a, a Muslim, so it is they had to do it. But go. the thing is he connects it to 9-11. And I just kept thinking it's like, 
Yes, 9-11, when 12-year-old girls hijacked an airplane <laughs> on their way to squash practice. <laughs> Look out, everyone. Uh, and then uh, he starts, he, he then finishes, so he goes through that story, and then he goes, and where are the feminists complaining about this woman in Iran who is now in prison because she was protesting not wearing the, the hijab? And my thing is like, I don't know. I'm going to speak no, for no. leftists here, but most of us will be upset about that. Yes, you know, you're right. <laughs> so here's the problem is he doesn't want to know what the fuck feminism no. is, obviously, because feminism is about having those choices and abilities. Correct. So the problem is you're forcing a religion onto someone. Right. You're forcing these things onto people rather than letting them choose. Just like, for example, uh, Bill 21 in Quebec that forces people not to practice their religion. It's the exact same thing. You can't force someone into a religion. You can't force someone into secularism. That's their fucking choice. Just let people live their lives. And so. how many times have they mentioned Bill 21 since we've been doing this podcast? Zip. Yeah. I was about to Not say a never. mention. Yeah. So it's like they're okay with Quebec laws being put in place to force women not to wear a certain article of clothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but they're like mad at feminists for not what like so. I don't know, I wonder, what are we supposed to do? March no, but I wonder like, in that in the Quebec situation, I wonder if I had certain religious symbols that were associated with Christianity, if that would be okay. Like I wore a cross because if you're Catholic, I'm Catholic. Yep. Well, I don't practice. I'm actually an atheist, but like yeah. uh, <laughs> I was born into Catholicism. Like my parents are Catholics. Um, like well, you wear like a golden cross. What? Some of their provincial symbols are. Religious. That's how ridiculous yeah. this is. That's why it's just purely Islamophobic. Correct. Yeah. So that was, he had to open up this segment with just this puff piece on how Muslims bad. And then, then we get to move into the fun bit. <laughs> so they spend, he has an interview for the second half of the show. And there's no good way to move into the topic. So I'm going to play a clip. That's kind of out of context, but it's a way of like easing us into the topic in a way that I think is appropriate. So here's David Menzies. But um, you raise a good point. Um, has there been actual studies done about whether or not it is indeed healthy or, uh, you know, or a person can get by on eating human flesh? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about cannibalism. <laughs> I never thought this was going to happen, but we have an episode <laughs> on people eating people. <laughs> and it is amazing. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> when, when, he, when it first, like, he introduces the segment, and I'm like, this isn't happening. And then they spend the whole episode talking about freaking eating people. So. <laughs> what is the secret of Silent Green? So the, the, they start at the top of this segment. They play a clip from Ted Turner. And I don't know if you know who Ted Turner is, but he's the uh, creator of CNN. Okay. Uh, he's dead now. Did he eat people? Uh, no, but he was, he was, I think he was into eugenics and like other stuff. No. But he also like worried about like global warming and nuclear war. So like part of the clip that they play is him talking about how nuclear war is bad and global warming is bad. And if we don't do anything to stop it, human beings might resort to cannibalism, right? Because, like, most of the population will die and then we can't grow food because so of nuclear war. So Menzies trying to make an argument, can we sustain off of eating other people? 
Because if that's going to happen, because we don't give a shit. No, I wish. It's worse. It's way stupider than that. Because there's, well, he's stupid and the guest is also stupid. But, and part of it is they take, take Ted out of context and we'll get there. But like the whole point that Ted says, and this is why like I'm framing it right off from the top. So we get why they're wrong is Ted frames it. Things have gone wrong. We can't like grow crops the way that we used to. We have to resort to other food sources and people are going to like start engaging in cannibalism. True. Yeah. Makes sense. Which I think is like, yeah, that's, it's a possibility. I think it's I a little far out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's science fiction. Like whatever. Yeah. He's just imagining a like, Some, like, worst case walking scenario. dead dystopian kind of world. Yeah. So David uses this as a jumping off point, but then look at how he sort of uh, introduces the segment. Wow, who knew that Ted Turner was such a clairvoyant climate Cassandra all the way back in 2008? Because now a Swedish scientist scientist. is proposing that mankind indeed needs to embrace cannibalism so that we can effectively fight back against global warming and greenhouse gas emissions. That's right, cannibalism. So they're trying to say environmentalists have gone too far. Is that what they're trying to do? So that's the setup. Okay. Environmentalists have gone too far. They're now telling us that in order to curb our global emissions, we have to eat people. And the thing is, he calls... uh, The the framing of these two clips side by side is because they're one after the other. Mm -hmm. And, And what Menzies is trying to link is like, oh, look at Ted Turner. He was talking about cannibalism all the way back in 2008. Cassandra. But the thing is... Ted Turner was framing it in terms of like the world's collapsing and we turn to cannibalism. He wasn't saying we need to eat humans today <laughs> to, to save prevent, the world. <laughs> to prevent he was saying we're later. trying to prevent that. That's what he's trying to get at. Right. Saying like we need to do something now about global warming so that we don't have cannibalism. And Menzies is framing it in terms of we need to have cannibalism now so we can prevent global warming, which is two, two completely different ways of uh, setting that up. So then he introduces his guest and his, uh, I mean, I don't need to introduce him. I'll just take it away, Menzies. Tell us about your guest. And joining me now with more on this real life version of Soylent Green <laughs> is Mark Morano of ClimateDepot.com. Welcome to the Ezra what? Event Show, Mark. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure. But Mark, first things first, uh, what do you prefer, white meat or dark? Well, I always like dark ones. I don't know. Unless I'm on a a soccer team that crashes in the Andes, I am not eating humans. Uh So he makes the joke, white or dark meat? (laughs) And Mark's response is, well, unless I'm like crashed in the Andes, I won't eat humans. So like he's in the worst case scenario, I'll eat human beings. But and then like, here's the thing is, that's exactly what Ted Turner framed the situation is in the worst case scenario, maybe you would turn to eating humans. It's not, it's not like uh, Ted Turner was advocating, let's start cooking humans now. And we're going to save the world if we just cook humans now. There's a so, scary movie. It's like Wrong Turn, I think it's called. It's like a series, like the Wrong Turn 2 Right? Like wrong turn three, bad end. Right? Like stuff like that. And it's just basically about a group of humans that decide to eat other humans. Yeah. And then they have like a cannibal village of them and people get trapped into their cannibal village all the time. And that's just the whole, it's a really bad series that, yeah. Um, But that's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Menzies is trying to 
yeah. set up humanity going towards. Well, and apparently, and like, we'll get to it, but apparently this is what this Swedish scientist uh, is going to say. Spoiler alert, he doesn't, but we'll, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and we'll also get to who Mark Morano is. Uh, so again, he works for climatedepot.com, which is a global warming denying website. But he also has been on uh, Ezra's show before. I think this is pretty much his third straight week he's been on The Rebel, and I just haven't uh, covered him, mainly because they, the, the one episode they talked about uh, windmills being bad, and they didn't say anything substantive. They just kept going back and forth about, man, they kill birds. <laughs> You're just like, okay. My mom says that all the time. It's yeah. so odd. Well, it's a right. Maybe your mom's into right wing talking. She says those things are dangerous, you know. Yeah. Like that's exactly. Now to to move on the next. Well, so I don't have a clip for this, but basically Mark then starts going into how there's like negative effects to to cannibalism, and he talks about uh, what's called kuru. Have you ever heard of kuru? Yeah. So, uh, it's something that I'm interested in. Uh, I studied cognition and like weird genetic diseases and stuff like that. And so I got in, interested into it before. And so I'm going to talk a bit about it uh, and then explain why it's kind of silly. But also Mark is talking about it and doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So he calls it like the laughing death when really it was initially called a laughing sickness because people who get the disorder would start like laughing uncontrollably. Uh, and the history here is actually like really quite interesting. So there was this tribe in Papua New Guinea uh, called the 4A people. And they used to eat their dead uh, as a ritual. So it's not like they killed people and cannibalized them. It was just like somebody died and then they would eat them, specifically their brain. And it would be like uh, uh, freeing their spirits. They would cook cook the brain. Like That's still gross. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not something I would do. Uh, but it's actually kind of relevant coming up. But anyway, so they, they did this for a long time and there was no real harmful side effects until uh, somebody probably got what, what was called a what is called now Crutzfeld-Jacob disease, which is a degenerative brain disorder that's caused by a protein called a prion. And it's a rare disease and often occurs spontaneously. So it's not something like that has a specific cause. It just sort of like happens. And it's basically a, this weird folding protein thing happens and then it starts to replicate kind of like a virus, right? And for, for reference, like a similar disorder passed through cows. It was called the mad cow disease. And there was like a time uh, when we were younger where uh, this there was this mad cow epidemic across Europe and Britain, I think. And they panicked and they like put down a bunch of cows. But there's no evidence that the prions that were infecting cow brains could have transmitted to, to human brains. Mm -hmm. But the thing that freaks people out is prions, unlike viruses and other things like that, don't uh, sterilize well. So even after cooking, it remains in the substance. And the same thing when it comes to like normal, like soap cleansing and like formaldehyde cleansing, it still remains like you have to do other things to it to kill the prions. And so that's why these, uh, this tribe, the foray, even when they cooked the brains, cooked the food that they used, they were still getting the prion disease. Mm. Now they stopped the practice of cannibalism in the 1960s. And this epidemic then sharply declined. Almost no one gets the laughing disease there anymore and uh the laughing sickness and scientists have speculated that the last person died from kuru in 2005 or 2009 they're not sure uh and so now any other cases that would happen in papua new guinea are likely new spontaneous cases okay. of uh crutzfield jacob right uh so basically what happens is one person got that disease 
And then everyone who ate it subsequently just kept passing it on to the people and then yeah. they would die and then they would eat their dead and then it would just pass on and pass on and it stopped, right? And the weird thing here, so... Uh, Menzies goes on to ask Mark about whether it's safe to eat human flesh in the first place, which is the clip I began <laughs> I began on to set up the piece. And Mark kind of meanders off point, but the thing is... Uh, there probably is a safe way to eat human flesh. I mean, what happened to no. Papua New Guinea was a random thing. No, here, let me, hear me out for a mm. second. There probably is a safe way to do it because mm. you could measure. Uh, Let's just not. Well, not no, because the thing is, it though. Let's just move on <laughs> from that point. Well, of course, it's like weird and other things, gross. right? No, and I'm not. Well, I'm not advocating it. Just let me finish. <laughs> My point Jody is, wants us to eat human flesh. He's getting there. I want people to eat human flesh. What's wrong? That's ridiculous stuff. <laughs> no, the point is like it's just weird that that's actually the objection they're going for. I mean, they've set it up as uh, we're gonna have to that that scientists suggest we're gonna have to eat humans to somehow stop global warming, and he's like, "Well, we can't do that because of the health effects." Like, why would that be your argument? <laughs> you know, like that's the weird thing to me because, and it's not even a good argument. So it's like. It's weird that that's his argument. And then it's also weird that it's not a good argument because there's probably ways now that you could eat human flesh. No, not let's it. not entertain that. Well, I'm not saying that we... No. Um, well, maybe we should. If, if no. we listen to the Swedish no. scientist. No. <laughs> no human flesh. Okay, well, we're going to go on to uh, more things that Mark's, Mark's going to say about this. Well, as I said, in, in the 1930s, the tribes in New Guinea were studied, and there was this weird ailment uh, that they attributed at the time to uh, cannibalism. I can't imagine with all the pathogens. There have been other scientists who flirted with the idea, and one was even a hoax about talking about eating human feces because of global warming oh. and then the need to do it. So we went from cannibalism to now we're talking about eating human feces, and he calls it a hoax. And so I, I looked into it because I was like, no one said anything about eating human feces. What the hell are you talking about? And so there was a story, and this goes all the way back to 2011. So you're like, why the hell are you talking about this? And it goes back to this video that appeared with Japanese scientists claiming to have created a burger out of protein found in what they called sewage mud. Which yeah, is yeah. Basically human shit. And it turns out that that story was a hoax. And most of the reporting on it... Uh, got information from that YouTube video, not from any, like, source. And it ended up in things like LA Weekly and The Guardian. And the thing is, I can't find any of those articles because they were all taken down once it was, like, turned out it was a hoax and they're all, like, gone. So I don't know how they covered it, but all the, the reporting I read that talked about the hoax and how people got taken in by it, not a single one of them mentions that anyone talked about it as if this was going to lower greenhouse, greenhouse gases and that's the reason why you would eat a shit burger. Uh, <laughs> and but the problem isn't like they're trying to entertain can we eat this nasty stuff and they're going to prove that we can't to debunk it like it makes zero sense well, this, it's not debunking climate change it's just debunking that we can't eat shit no it's trying to like create a disgust reaction in you against environmentalists to be like environmentalists are gross they want you to stupid eat humans stuff. They're in, they want yeah. you to, to eat feces and even this. Why we're even here. The United Nations in about 2007 issued a report saying that cow emissions were more dangerous to the climate than all of the transportation sector, planes, airplanes, uh, 
uh, boats and, uh, and vehicles combined. Cow emissions were killing the planet. Thus, our love of eating meat was destroying the climate. You can't eat meat anymore. Ah! But it gets worse. Then you go a few years further. Top UN officials, uh, advisors were saying things like a successful UN climate treaty will skyrocket the price of meat. That's what we need to do. Then you had a whole eat insect movement that I don't know why I failed to catch on. Insects. You had people saying that eating insects was the only sustainable way forward. There's great source of protein. At one point, you even had uh, the actress, what's her name, married to Tom Cruise at one point, uh, who's uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole oh, no. for Vanity Fair about how funny uh, insects were. And she actually compared it to eating a hairy nut. My God, they want us to eat hairy nuts. <laughs> like... The, the whole piece is just like uh, exactly what you said. And, and the last part to me is the one that stands out the, mo the most, which is like, my God, they want us to eat bugs. Like the only reason we have a disgust towards bugs is because of our own like Western chauvinism, which is the fact that like we don't eat bugs. So like to us, yeah, it you feels grew up gross. learning that those are gross. Yeah. But if they are high taught. sources of protein and like they could be delicacies or delicious. If you grew in that culture, yeah. it's like food that you love to eat. But to him, it's like, oh, they're gross. I think it's pretty gross that people eat pigs. Pigs eat their own shit. Pigs will eat themselves. Crustaceans. I mean, crustaceans are just insects, but in the sea. And no. <laughs> no, it's true. They're actually good. But, uh, yeah. uh, like, I just think pigs are the grossest, grossest animals you could eat. Pigs, if you don't feed them, will start eating themselves. That's absolute. Ugh. And they're super smart, too. They are super smart, but I know a person who used to collect like composting scraps and it would get moldy and then they'd ship it off to a pig farm and the pig would eat the mold off of the scraps that they would. It's no, well, no, I mean, bueno. that's how, like, <laughs> not good. Yeah. Farming practices are the weird shit. Like that's how we got mad cow disease was them feeding cows to cows. Like that's <laughs> disgusting. That is disgusting. So, I mean, like those practices, I mean, there's reasons why environmentalists target the meat market because like the pollutants like the heaps of waste that come out of it the nitrogen pits that they have yeah like, the disgusting that leak whenever ethical, unethical yeah. practices that they do to animals as well like yeah. forcing a cow to eat another cow that's disgusting <laughs> yep then all of a sudden mark it, it's weird so there's going to be a lot of this back and forth where like mark gets it right and then like goes back to getting it wrong and then getting it right again. So we're going to listen to him get it right. And so they started with, uh, you know, banning meat, making meat more expensive. Then they were trying to promote insects. Fast forward. Then they was even flirting with eating feces. Now they're back to talking about eating, uh, you know, humans. Now, when I say back, Ted Turner warned of it in 2008. Paul Ehrlich, the overpopulation guru who's been wrong about every prediction. I want to pause it there on the Paul Ehrlich point because... He's someone that Alex Jones references a lot for his like weird endgame theories about how the globalists are going to kill off half the population. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if like part of it is that's why Paul Eric is being brought up here. The other thing is, so you can tell this is the section where he got it wrong. And he's going to quickly segment into getting it right. But getting it wrong is that they wanted us to eat the feces, eat this, and then eat the humans, all to, like, prevent global warming. But then all of a sudden, he switches and he gets it right. Watch. Warned about eating humans in 2014. They're just trying to shock the public so that we'll take action on climate 
turn to central planning, give up liberty, give up free markets in order to save us from a climate calamity. And apparently now cannibalism it'll save us from. So, so <laughs> well, other than the things that sound great, but he said there, look, he's like, what they're doing is they're scaring you now so that we do something about global warming so that we don't have the cannibalism. Yeah, and right. if that's true, then that would fit with how Ted Turner framed it in the first place. And I agree with him. We're going to need extreme structural social changes to implement it. And they're going to be socialism. And you and I, Caitlin, are going to be very happy that they're in place. If we are alive. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark uh, will probably be dead. And Mark is going to kick and scream the whole way and not like it. So now they're we're going to take my meat away. <laughs> they're going to they're raising the price of meat. It's the best because people that are like really passionate about eating meat try to associate it with being like manly and like yeah. elk. Ugh. I hunt to elk with my bare hands. Disgusting. And they're the most whiny people. Like absolutely so whiny that people people are not eating meat. Like get over it. People can fucking choose what to eat. Like I never like the funny thing is there's always this like image of a pushy vegan right yeah but it's the meat eaters that yeah, are the worst like, or if you're I like never... i'm a vegetarian and you order something being a bit like order a vegetarian meal yeah it's the meat eaters that go oh you don't eat meat why why don't you eat meat who made you not eat meat was it your parents choice did they force you not to eat meat i because i'm a vegetarian like, i'm a vegetarian I, yeah i've gotten my whole fucking life it's annoying i don't go why the fuck do you eat meat why the fuck do you eat killed animals that's <laughs> disgusting why do you eat animals that like shit and piss everywhere? That's gross. Or you, or you get the the sarcasm. You're like, oh, you're gonna go out in the yard and eat foliage. <laughs> so or, you're just gonna eat an animal that eats itself if it no, can't no. find other sources of food? That's what disgusting. Was... <laughs> What's it's just the, the concept other, yeah. of it is so gross to me. Anyways, they, they no, I, I know what you, I hear that all the time though. Uh, so I, I'll just move on. Menzies then brings up the the scientist. Uh, so now we're finally gonna get into. Uh, where the hell this story came from in the first place. Getting back to this guy in um, uh, Sweden, uh, Magnus Soderlund, he's the one suggesting this. We should point out, uh, Mark, he's a behavioral scientist. Yes. So his bailiwick really isn't, has nothing to do with um, the science of climate at all. Uh, Not at all. Why does he think he has the, um, uh, you know, the intellectual authority to suggest this as a solution to a problem that he's not all that well versed in in the first place. I mean, there's the obvious like weirdness of like, well, who the hell are you guys to be talking about it on your stupid fucking Yeah, show? no, it's true. Yeah. Uh, but that and the fact of like, I don't even think Mark, Marky Boy over here has a degree in anything substantive to comment on it. And yet he runs climatedepot.com. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing is, they called the scientist uh, Magnus Soderland a... Uh, behavioral scientist. Really, he's a teacher at a university who teaches marketing. What? He's the head of Center for Consumer Marketing at Stockholm School of Economics. He's not a scientist per se because he doesn't really do any research. And uh... <laughs> and so here's the... and they set it up again that this is somehow going to be a solution to climate change, but that's actually not at all what the guy said. Uh, but I'll play one more clip before we, we'll get into why uh, why they're wrong about what this Swedish scientist said. So he comes out. This is a gastro summit in Sweden. This behavioral scientist, sociologist, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, sociologist, whatever you want to call it. Fuck off. <laughs> and he starts talking about how 
even I think it was eight percent of the, of the uh, attendants of this conference were willing to try human eating humans in order to save the planet. And these are very high-minded individuals. I mean, they're willing to go that extra mile to save the planet. And he said he himself hesitated, but he didn't want to be seen as too conservative. It's now a conservative position to not want to eat your fellow human. And so this is what they're doing. I think it's more for shock value. It's more to get attention. It's more to scare people. If you're not careful, we're going to be doing cannibalism. Florida is going to be underwater. Our major cities are going to be wiped off by superstorms, etc. So in order to prevent us, all these catastrophes, say, don't let's not kill the polar bear. Let's go central planning. Let's go global governance. Let's go socialism. Let's go massive he's wealth redistribution. That's, That's the, the only problem. Way to he's connecting. Let's eat our fellow, fellow humans. Human. Uh, you know, thighs or buttocks or whatever part they want to eat. Well, that and like he moves from getting it like wrong to right constantly. But it's this idea of like they just want to they want to scare you and and all this and then with all these like the flooding and this this and this. Because if we don't do something now, we're going to get the cannibalism later. And that's like the right take. But again, it's uh, it's framed in weird. But like notice as well how he framed it. It's like there's this conference, this gastro conference. And the, the hoity-toity like smart intellectuals, 8% of them were like, we're on board uh, to eating humans. And it's only uh, uh, conservatives that don't want to, uh, to eat human meat. But here's uh, the interesting thing. So... What happened was there was a conference mm-hmm. in Sweden. Uh, it was called the uh, the Future of Food Conference, and it was in Stockholm. And the talk was going to be about food scarcity. Now, the thing is, the clip that he's referring to was actually on Swedish TV. It wasn't even at the conference. It was to promote the conference. And one of the issues that he raised at the TV interview, not even at the conference, which was about food scarcity, was that the decrease in food production as a result of climate change and uh, the possi- like will maybe like uh, create the possibility of having to find new foods and therefore we might have to resort to eating dead humans as a source of protein when you can't get any more protein from anywhere else. That's what he said on this TV thing. And then he pulled the audience of the TV, so they're not even academics, and 8% of the TV audience was okay with eating dead meat if it came to it. In, in that scenario and he said that even he feels uneasy with it but maybe this is something that these taboos we have to kind of work through yeah, as a society so just completely if, misconstruing right so i mean it's not an academic thing it was said one off at a tv thing and it, it was eight percent of a tv audience and the thing is like what happened was the the tv interview which was this two minute clip and it was poorly translated by youtube was covered by breitbart and all these right-wing media sources as uh, lefties, crazy lefties are telling you that we're going to have to eat humans to save yeah. global warming. And it had nothing to do with it too, right? It had to do exactly the same thing. That t- The funny thing is, this is exactly what Ted Turner was saying. Shit's going to go bad. Yeah. And then we're not going to have enough food and people are going to resort to eating humans. And at least this guy was like, it would be nice if like we resorted to eating dead humans. So it wasn't like some... Mad Max hell world where we're killing people to eat their flesh, right? So then you want to <laughs> figure out who, who is this Mark guy? Uh, well, Mark runs, as he said, this website called Climate Depot. And they're known for their global warming not denialism. Now, the website is a project of the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. And their average revenue is around $3 million a year. And a main contributor of the organization is another fund that's called Donors Trust. 
And Donors Trust is an American nonprofit whose top contributors are... Who do you think would donate? The Koch family! feeling <laughs> Again! I was like, it just seems a little weird. <laughs> too cliche, because yeah. the Kochs just have so much money and they've thrown it all over the place. So not to go too deep on the Kochs right now, uh, though it'll probably be inevitable eventually. Uh, you might wonder, like, who the hell are the Kochs and why do they donate to the rebel and all these other weird causes? And so the reason is uh, because Koch Industries, they're... The company itself is involved in the manufacturing, refining, and distribution of petroleum and related chemicals. Yeah. So they're an oil industry. So why would an oil industry spend money on a place called Climate Depot that denies global warming? Yeah. Because they don't want people to stop buying oil. That's pretty, like, yeah, it's no, just it's straight up, right? Well, fun, this is another fun fact if you want to get the full picture of Mark. Uh, he got his start working for Rush Limbaugh who's a famous right-wing radio host. Uh, I think he's more known up in Canada because I think he mocked uh, Michael J. Fox. He mocked his Parkinson's. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty terrible. Uh, He's done worse. I think he he told people during the Obama, Obamacare discussions that like, uh, we shouldn't be paying for women's birth control because we shouldn't be paying for them to be sluts. Uh, He's just a terrible human being. So that's, that's where Mark Morano got his start. He then worked for Cybercast News Service, which they broke the Swift Boat story. And if you know what that is, that basically uh, did damage to John Kerry when he was running against uh, George Bush. It basically set it up that when he was in Vietnam, he didn't really do a good job. And he was it was this whole like, controversy. Meanwhile, George Bush didn't even go to Vietnam. He like got his dad to pay him out of it or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So. It was, it was, he's involved in all these uh, conservative causes that have all been terrible, including the fact that he, he then left this news service and worked for Senator Inhofe uh, under the George Bush administration. And if you don't know who Senator Inhofe is, he's famous for bringing a snowball to Congress and uh, going, look, global warming's not real. I'm holding a snowball. <laughs> uh, yeah, so to sum up, he's a frequent guest on rebel media claiming that global warming alarmists want to eat uh want you personally to eat shit insects and people yeah and this is also the same week that they started a campaign to sue albertan environmental activists because they're worried that they're foreign agitators being funded by like left wing left wing foreign groups meanwhile they have people on their show and they themselves are being funded by all these foreign yeah. agitators yeah i got so i got one last clip before we'll we'll wrap it up okay Wow. Well, you know, Mark, we're, we're going to have to wrap it here. Uh, but, you know, this whole idea of a behavioral scientist suggesting cannibalism, a, 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 a 15-year-old girl sailing across the Atlantic to preach to us on the, the, the future of the planet. This is exactly why, my friend, Mad Magazine stopped publishing last month. It's beyond parody. <laughs> you can't, you can't um, uh, out-parody the headlines of today's news. It's just so outrageous. But as always, thank Thank you for weighing in with your insight. It's always appreciated. Like, oh my God, such a weird fucking episode. David Menzies, there he is. Uh, we'll probably be covering less of him as we go forward, unless maybe this is a routine thing that he just, just shows, shows up. up every time Ezra uh, leaves. I like it when he goes on the street, though. 
Well, as as Ezra said, uh, one of the things they're going to do with the ramp up of this election is more more men on the street interviews. They're going to get get right up close and personal with people on the street and ask them like questions. So, anyways, if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on Patreon.com/slash/ImperialNews. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at ImperialNews with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News, which we will be better at posting content in if it gets more populated. And we also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter, and I will eventually start streaming the research stuff on Twitch. And you can chat at me and tell me your rebel stories. And the username on Twitch, I think, is Imperial News. I can't remember, but uh, you can also find that on Twitter. And lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com, and I will get to some of them at the end of each show if we have any. So uh, thank you for listening, and uh, I think it's our official message to that don't eat people. N- yes. Yet. Don't. No, Yet? never eat people. Eat. Don't <laughs> eat people. Don't eat people yet. And don't eat meat. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Homeless people in L.A. have smartphones.